Hello everybody, this is Ryan. Before we start the new episode, me and Avery wanted to let you know that we are going to take the rest of December off so that we can enjoy the holidays with our families. Thank you all so much for listening during this crazy year and sending your feedback. It truly means the world to us. So wherever you are, have a happy holiday, and we will see you in January. Hello, and welcome to Frame by Frame, a song-by-song analysis about legendary progressive rock band King Crimson. Come and join us in our test of discipline. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Frame by Frame, the song-by-song King Crimson podcast. I am Ryan. Joining me, as always, is Avery. Avery, how's it going? Pretty good. How about you? I'm doing all right. So we are now roughly halfway through our Lizard Odyssey. Last week, we talked about indoor games and talked about how it ends with that famous laugh. And it goes straight into the track that we are talking about today, which is Happy Family. Uh, Happy Family is, if I... I think you'd probably agree, and that is is easily one of the most hated songs in the King Crimson canon, or at least yeah. when it comes to discussing Crimson songs that people dislike, there's not that many, or at least I don't think there's a huge list of songs that people don't care for. But I think generally speaking, Happy Family ranks near the very bottom for most people. Yeah, I, I would... I would certainly say so. Would you say it is your least favorite track so far? Would, is Indoor Games better? No. Really? I I prefer Happy Family over Indoor Games. Really? Yeah. Why, why, now, why is that? Why are you breaking my heart? <laughs> I I don't know. Is it... Is it because Happy Family, is it not as crazy for you or like? At least we know what it's about. It's about the Beatles breaking up. Yeah. I think I said last time that I prefer indoor games musically, but I prefer Happy Family lyrically. And that's only because this song, lyrically, there's actually something to take from it. You know, whereas indoor games, you kind of have to, it's a bit of a puzzle. Whereas this isn't that much, it it is presented as a puzzle, but it's very easy to decipher, you know, that it's about the Beatles, especially if you dig into the album cover and there's the characterization of the four members of the Beatles. And, and I think there's a characterization of, I think it's like Yoko or something because like John has some like lamp or something and there's like a head coming out of it and it looks like it's Yoko I think and I I have a feeling most of this episode is going to be discussing the breakup of the Beatles and how it relates to the song so um so uh, I, I I guess we can talk musically about it like what's your take on it musically very very strange I would agree yeah, like the distortions on Gordon's voice, just bizarre. It's more it, of that scary clown music vibe. It, it's the most excessive. Yeah. You know, this is the most excessive song in terms of the effects and all the weird electronics. 
Um, and it's how, and how like it swoops from your ears as well. Like it keeps going left and right. Like at least with indoor games, there was like a steady pulse to it. Whereas this doesn't really have a steady pulse at all. It feels just incredibly all over the place and very easily the most free jazz track, you know, when you have all these horns like barking in the distance and like some crazy flute stuff and, and these intense like Fender Rhodes, like piano chords that are just so loud and Andy McCulloch just kind of hitting whatever he can at whatever time he can. So it always sounds like McCulloch is like slightly behind the beat and he's just trying to catch up, you know, but he just can't do it. Um, and, in, and yet in all this chaos is just, you know, Gordon Haskell just playing his bass, just doing his thing, you know, keep, keeping the yep. pulse. Um, but weirdly enough, I feel his performance on this track isn't bad. Like, it sounds like he actually is invested in what he's singing about on this track. Mm-hmm. Uh, un- like circus a little bit indoor games not really but here i think you know i imagine the beatles were probably a big deal for him as was you know a big deal for a lot of british boys in in the 60s so i think there was some connection there and he yeah could, and he could probably get himself caught in it because i don't know what if there was a bigger like news story or music news story in 1970 than you know the breakup of the biggest band in the world at that particular time and it's funny that when you look back at it now from a historical perspective it all just kind of makes sense that like the Beatles were just kind of doomed almost from the start yeah like being that huge and being like the first band to be that huge and breaking so many barriers in terms of like songwriting um creativity um being allowed like freedom as musicians to kind of just do what satisfies you in like the pop realm which so many people these days of our age talk about like the beatles being overrated and shit and i get where they're coming from because they've just been fed this idea from like their boomer and even Gen X parents that like the Beatles were the best thing ever. And they just like need to accept it as like a cultural fact almost. And it's just like trying to be reactionary where it's like, no, no, they, they weren't really that good. Um, and subjectivity plays a big role in that idea as well. That like not every 20 year old is going to think I want to hold your hand is a good song, you know? Like, personally, I don't really listen to the Beatles anymore these days. Because I had, when I was in high school, I had a big, like, Beatles explosion and just kind of really dug myself into their back catalog and kind of just became a fan of it. Um, these days, I tend to listen to the more, like, weird solo records. Like, the stuff that, like, George did and the stuff that, like, Paul did. Um, like, big fan of McCartney, too, for example. Not so much the proper albums anymore, except for maybe the White Album. Because that's my favorite Beatles record. And I love the variety on that record for having like 30 songs and almost all of them are something completely different. It's very Mm. fascinating to me. But as you were saying that, you know, the Beatles being as huge as they were, you know, nothing lasts forever. You know, things have to end at some point. 
Like King Crimson's going to end at some point, even though it has yeah. ended, it's ended like four times, but it just keeps coming back. Um, but there, there will be an eventual stop to it. And I think the Beatles ending after only being around for 10 years, you know, it's, it's a nice solid number. And the outward and the output they made was significant. And I think what I was trying to say when it's like so many people these days think the Beatles are overrated, it's, yeah, it's like, I get where they're coming from, but you kind of have to, it's just one of those things that you just kind of need to understand that like without the Beatles, like the music scene, like music culture would be incredibly different to the point where like, yeah. who, who knows if King Crimson would have existed, you know? like Probably not because Sgt. Pepper was what inspired Robert Fripp to start his musical career. Yeah. Yeah. I think he said once that he heard a day in the life on a radio like the the string wind up and it like terrified him it scared the piss out of him and, <laughs> and then he found the record and then started listening to it along with like you know his bar talk and all that and was like this is just what i want to do is like mix all this shit up and even when they were rehearsing the 69 band like they were working on covers and one of the covers that they did and i heard I've, I've read that they played it at a couple of early live gigs, but as far as I know, it hasn't seen any release. And that is they covered Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Really? Pepper. Yeah. And as far as I know, it's never been properly recorded or released in any form. I know the complete 69 sessions are out and I haven't dug through the con like the track listing of it. Um, but as far as I know, no version of it appears. Um, which would have been fascinating for history's sake to hear a version of that. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so, you know, the Beatles or King Crimson being inspired by the Beatles, it only makes sense that they would make some sort of comments on them breaking up. Cause I imagine everybody was talking about it at the time. Yeah. Cause I think earlier in that year, the Beatles did the, the famous rooftop concert, um, with like hinting at the idea of them going back to live performance. And then there was the let it be sessions. Um, well, actually that was in 69, not 70, but there was more like people saying like, Oh, are they going to go to live performance? Are they going to do more than just Abbey road? But you know, if you want the whole, if you want the whole thing, just look it up. Many people yeah. talked about how the Beatles have broken up. Um, as I always say, it's for the best. To to quote to quote Mister Mister John Lennon himself. You know, look at it, look at all the good music that you know Paul, George, Ringo, and I have made since the Beatles are broken up. Good shit. Mm-hmm. So for the lyrics, um, for those of you who are not certain, because there's four different characters referenced that aren't you know that are the Beatles, but they're not named the Beatles. So for anyone who's ever been confused about it. Um, Jonah is John, Judas is Paul, Silas is George, and Rufus is Ringo. Now, for most people, that probably doesn't mean much, but I think Paul being named Judas is significant. Because if anybody knows, Judas was the, in, in the Bible, the man who betrayed Jesus to the Romans to, you know, to, to get him on the cross, so then he so then he'd fuck off for three days. 
Um, <laughs> so yeah, the great betrayer. And Paul at the time was considered the guy responsible for the Beatles breaking up because I think the perception was that he was the leader of the band or wanted to be the leader of the band or, or like something like that. He imposed a lot of control over the band, especially if you read about the sessions for his songs during like the white album and Abbey road, the songs that he wrote and how they would just do like constant takes after takes with the members. And Paul wanted to have them like perfect to the point of annoying, like completely annoying Ringo and George and even John. In fact, I believe, yeah, during the White Album, when they were trying to track the song back in the USSR, Ringo did like so, like dozens of takes of it and Paul just kept trying to get him to do it because it just wasn't gelling or whatever. And it pissed Ringo off to the point where he left the band for two weeks during the White Album sessions. <laughs> Which is why back in the USSR and Dear Prudence, don't have Ringo drumming. Instead, they, back in USSR, is an amalgamation of John, George, and Paul doing drum parts, and then Dear Prudence is pure Paul on drums. So, so yeah, like, Paul was always kind of seen as the very, like, controlling member, and so I guess when they broke up or had their, their issues with breaking up, he was, he was painted as the villain. Because John was all about, you know, peace and love and all that. And um, George was always seen as the guy who was held down by John and Paul. To the point where when he released his first solo record, or his first proper solo record, All Things Must Pass, it was this big double album of just a backload of songs that he had that John and George turned down over the years. And George was seen as like the man who was finally liberated. You know, he could finally be the songwriter who he always wanted to be. And then, and Ringo is Ringo. So it, it was a shame that Paul got seen as like the betrayer and the backstabber. When, if you look at the history nowadays, he really wasn't. If anything, he was the guy trying to keep it together or at least trying to have it end on more amicable terms. You know, he, he was trying to like tie it up in a nice little ribbon, but instead the other members just kind of let sort of the wrapping paper fall on the floor, if that makes any sense. Um, and all that kind of leads to McCartney's first solo record and pretty much like Paul having no respect from anybody from his records until he did like Band on the Run. So for like three years, everyone just thought Paul was just doing shit and nobody liked him, you know? Mm -hmm. he, he had to do Poor Band Paul. on the Run. Yeah. Uh, I've always preferred Paul to John. Like I've always found John Lennon. Here incredibly overrated so like i see it as like i mentioned mccartney too and it's like the weird synth experimental paul mccartney album right and that's something john lennon would have never done john lennon was always like too cool to do like temporary secretary for example like he would never do that shit you know john was always trying to be like the hip guy and the problem is, I think when you're hip, you don't allow yourself to have some fun or be kind of silly here and there, you know. Mm -hmm. So that that was my that was my beetle my main Beatles like shtick, I guess. Um, but is there anything specific about the Happy Family lyrics that you wanted to talk about? 
Yeah, before we started recording, um, I was actually talking to my boyfriend a little bit about the lyrics and just asking him what, what he thought, like analyzing like each verse and trying to figure out exactly how it tells the story of the Beatles' downfall. Like, I've never been a huge Beatles fan. Like, I, I enjoy Sgt. Pepper and Abbey Road, but I was never, like, a really hardcore Beatles fan, so I don't know a whole lot about their breakup. Fair enough. But uh, what did um, you and your boyfriend, like, like, any interesting parts of your conversation, or? Uh, I'll pull up the lyrics real quick. So, he actually found on, like, I think it, it must have been, like, song meanings, someone analyzed the lyrics, and they think part of the first verse is talking about, like, the band members, the band members' drug use. Mm-hmm. The brother Judas, Ashen Sack, swallowed aphrodisiac. Someone said that, like, aphrodisiac is acid in this context. Oh, yeah. They all notoriously yeah. did acid around, um, I believe it was a revolver, is when they started doing acid. Yeah, and then the same person on this website said, this line will blow our own canoes to refer to weed with like canoe being slang for a joint i guess yeah yeah which is i think it's kind of a stretch i think that line is the four members that all saying that they want to have their own solo careers but yeah possibly one. It, it it's funny that they that they spe- that peter specifies um paul dropping acid while john george and ringo just like smoke weed which i find interesting because it's like all of them did it but maybe it's because that paul was kind of the the main creative force behind sergeant pepper or at least like it's claimed that he came up with the idea for sergeant pepper the idea of like let's not be the beatles let's be in different band because we're kind of sick of being the beatles you know which is part of the concept behind it. Um, and I, th- I think it's funny. They just reference like John Lennon smoking weed when he had a pretty notable heroin habit at the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Ha- I, I read that when I was reading the Wikipedia articles about the Beatles breakup. Yeah. Like the song happiness is a warm gun is reportedly about his heroin addiction. So. Oh dear. Yeah. Bang, bang, shoot, shoot. Um, wow. Yeah, and, and that makes sense. Yeah, like whipped to the world, beat the clock, wound up with their share of stock, silver rolls from Golden Rock, shaken by a knock, knock, knock. Yeah, like it's just about them getting, becoming millionaires, essentially. Just getting yeah. like all this fucking money. Because it's crazy to think they, by the time the Beatles ended, they were like just turning 30. Yeah. They were all like in their late twenties, roughly early thirties at that point. Like like imagine if you're if in your twenties 
you, you were like, oh, I remember the biggest band in the world just cranking out like all these all time classic songs, you know? Like you don't have, like, that's the thing. Each of the four guys could have retired when the Beatles ended and not done a damn thing and be fine. They probably would have been just yeah. fine. Yeah. But I'm glad they didn't. Glad they didn't. Because mm. then, then we wouldn't have all the cool solo music. Um, and then, see, uh, Happy Family, Wave That Grin, What Goes Around, Must Surely Spin, Cheesecake, Mousetrap, Grip, Pine, Thine, Cried Out, We're Not Rin, Tin, Tin, which I'm not quite sure what that part means. It just sounds very British. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is King Crimson's most British album, so it kind of makes sense, you know? Yep. But I do love the bit, Uncle Rufus grew his nose, threw away his circus clothes. Like, oh, yeah. be nice. Be nice to Ringo. <laughs> be nice to him. He's a lovely man. He doesn't have a classic album to his name like the other three have, but be nice to him, you know? Yeah, he did his best. <laughs> He's got some good songs. Like, I'd recommend some, like, singles, but that's about it. Mm. Um, and then Cousin Silas grew a beard, drew another flask of weird... Which, well, yeah, because George got the big old beard. And I think, trying to think, that might be a reference to his first two solo records. Because before All Things Must Pass, he had two different solo albums. One called Electronic Sound from like 68, which was essentially just him fucking around with a Moog synthesizer and just made an album of it. It's it's not very notable. It's not like Switched on Bach mm. by Wendy Carlos or anything like that. But it's it's interesting. It's interesting to hear. Like a Beatle just screwing around with a Moog when they were brand new at the time. Because there, yeah. there is some synthesizer on Abbey Road. Hmm. Just a little bit. Like, they're, like yeah. the most notable I can think of is in Maxwell Silverhammer. Like a couple of lines yeah. are synth. Um, which I love that song, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's a great song. Me too. Um, and then he did an album called Wonderwall Music, which I believe was like a film soundtrack and is mainly um, based on his like love of Indian music, which was very well documented with George Harrison, learning to play the sitar and all that good stuff. Um, and in fact, I, I'll, keep, I'll keep adding all these musical references on top of it. Um, a lot of pe- some people think that Oasis got the name of their song Wonderwall from the George Harrison album, Wonderwall Music, that they took the name from that. That's which, entirely possible. Which is just another connection that Oasis just, you know, I don't think they ripped off the Beatles, but they were heavily inspired by the Beatles. And, yeah. And also the Rolling Stones. Like there's definitely a Stones influence with, the, with Oasis that people never talk about, which I hmm. don't get why, but, you know. Anyway. Let's see, and then Nasty Jonah grew a wife, obvious reference to Yoko Ono. Everybody's favorite, like, person to pick on. Because once Paul was no longer cast as the villain of the Beatles breaking up, it then became Yoko, which kind of exists to this very day. And I've always never liked that shit, you know? Mm. Could it be sexist? Could it be racist? Probably. Probably. I think it's just 
an example of people trying to find a reason or like find like a simple reason that like, oh, it was this person or it was this thing, you know? Yeah. When the Beatles breaking up is just this huge, this, I mean, the seeds of them breaking up happened in like 67. Essentially. When, yeah, I was reading that. Yeah. When their manager, Brian Epstein passed before Sergeant Pepper, that was the beginning of the end. Because he was the guy yeah. who kept them all together and all that shit. But then once he died, it, it kind of allowed them to get influenced by every by different things and make him go, eh, fuck doing this shit. So there's that. And then uh, Judas drew his pruning knife. You know, obvious like stab in the back kind of thing. So I guess Peter Sinfield didn't really like Paul McCartney or he just fed into the hype that it was Paul McCartney. We broke up mm. the Beatles, I guess. I don't know. I wasn't around in 1970. I'm sorry. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, I missed that. <laughs> um, and then let's see. Yeah, we ha- can only speculate. Yeah, but but do you uh, happy family one hand clap? What I don't get the one hand clap bit. Yeah, when um when we were reading that uh, song meanings comment. Uh, that person said one hand clap could mean a slap in the face as in mm. the Beatles breaking up felt like a slap in the face to the general public. Like they uh, weren't expecting it. Cultural entitlement then. Yeah. Feeling entitled to the Beatles existence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny because again, I know all this weird, obscure shit about the Beatles, but um, when Paul McCartney did like he did like a TV special concert or whatever in sometime in the early seventies, and it was called One Hand Clapping. Huh? Yeah, I doubt it's a reference to this. Highly doubt it. Yeah, because when was that released? Oh, the special. I think yeah. uh, after this. It was after this. Okay. But yeah. I, I don't think it was the same year. I think it was when Wings was finally starting to formulate. Hmm. That's a whole nother story. But then, uh, yeah, four, four, went, four went by or four went on, but none came back. That one makes the most sense. Yeah. Pay, pale applause, each to his revolving doors. You know, they, they got sick of the audience noise. I mean, who wouldn't? I know, God. Like... Yeah, um, I thought that they couldn't hear their instruments over the screaming. How could you? Especially back in the '60s, when like, like say like my practice amp is like would be considered gig worthy at some of these shows. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the constant. I couldn't imagine. Um, though, when they did the the touring years documentary for the Beatles, and then they released the soundtrack with some like live cuts to go with it, they somehow found a way to like lower the crowd noise so you can hear what the hell they're like doing live which even they said like shocked the hell out of them so yeah because beatles live albums there's a reason they don't exist <laughs> or like they're very few and far between yeah. except for if it's like the beatles in japan which japan japanese audiences are normally more reserved and so when they did japan i believe it was in 66 near the end it's a lot more tolerable of the listening. I experience. bet. Yeah. They're still screaming, but it's not as bad. So, yeah. And then each to his revolving doors, which probably references all the people coming in and out of their life, influencing them. 
wives, girlfriends, Eric Clapton, you know, all these people. <laughs> um, Silas searching. Yeah, because George trying to search for himself with the spirituality stuff because he became a Hindu, I believe, in life as well and adopted a lot of Indian uh, religious ideology in his life. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he went there. He, he went full on like Indian stuff as well. Um, Rufus neat because Ringo's always a neat little guy. Um, and then Jonah caustic, which I'm, I'm not sure what caustic means off the top of my head. I think it, it means like harsh, something like that. Let's see. Sarcastic in a scathing or bitter way, which is a hundred. Yeah. Cause John was, a yeah. Fuck, Cause John Lennon was a fucking prick. Like it, like just ugh. <laughs> to a way that rubs a lot of people wrong way. And then uh, Jude's so sweet. Like, does he? The lyrics I have, it, he, it goes. He says Jude's so sweet, not Judas. Yeah. Which that has to be a Hey Jude reference. Of course, it has to be definitely. Yeah. And then yeah, let their sergeant mirror spin. If we lose, the barbers win. Happy family, one hand clap, four went on, but none came back. I like that little bit, the if we lose, the barbers win. Because they were no... But what, what does that mean? Well, when the Beatles first came out, when they did like the Ed Sullivan show, and they had that, the, the Beatles bowl cut that we, that we know of. Oh, oh okay. And, and they like grew their hair out over the years. But like, they were, as far as like culture, they were like the first major like musician band to have long hair or to start having long hair you know yeah and of course that freaked all the like conservatives in england and in america freaked them out you know like how could a man have long hair like jesus well he just didn't have a good barber in his day <laughs> i've heard that excuse i'm like why do you guys oh my hate, god like why do you guys hate long hair but yet jesus had long hair and it's like well, he just didn't have my barber or like he just didn't have me for a dad or some like weird shit. Some weird trying to like downplay wow. Jesus was. Yeah. I'm not getting deep That's into religion, incredible. but like, you know, religion's just an excuse to be an asshole. So I'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the whole Sergeant Mirror spin is just Sergeant Pepper, I think. This is what I've always, always thought. Um but yeah, it, it's such an interesting tune, like lyrically and musically. And the thing is, like, I don't necessarily hate it. I, 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 I could see why people don't like it, because it, it's very hard and abrasive to get into. But as I said before, I, I've always had an appreciation for Lizard for being what it is. And Happy Family never really bugged me, you know? Because when you listen to Circus, Indoor Games, Happy Family all in a row, like side one, or not all a side one, but you get what I'm saying, they all just weirdly fit together. It just tells this weird extended jazz odyssey in a way, which I think is why I'm okay with it. And Happy Family represents the peak of the insanity before the next track, which brings you right back down. So... Like, it's definitely on the lower tier of Crimson songs for me, but I don't think it gets, I I think it gets too much hate. It doesn't deserve all the insane hate that it gets, in my opinion. 
It just amazes me that Peter Sinfield went from like the first album writing about like the Vietnam War and this incredibly intense poetic way. And then two albums later, like just a little over a year later, he's writing a song about the Beatles breaking up. It, it's amazing. Where... I guess he's staying culturally relevant for the time period. Yeah, I'd say so. And I, and I guess it's just like your creativity kind of just can take you in places that you may not expect. Yeah. You know? And it's easily, it, and then it weirdly enough is the most cult, it's the most culturally relevant song he ever did since, or even like since Schizoid Man almost, you yeah. know, with direct referencing of like current events, you know, and you don't always associate King Crimson with current events. It's either with like historical figures or like, ancient mythology and metaphor or um you know or, or just like just weird shit you know yeah like when adrian blue would go on about hating new york city or something like <laughs> but not but not necessarily touching on like current like big stuff and it's always weird to hear one band reference another band directly or yeah it's very strange yeah it, it's it's one thing if like say you're listening to like like some rap music and then they in the lyrics reference like a different artist like that's one thing but to hear you know yeah to hear king crimson reference the beatles it's almost like if animal collective referenced the national <laughs> or something like that it would just weird people out would be like oh that's an interesting connection you've made hmm. um, so, so that's probably why it sticks out, I think. But, um, but yeah, unfortunately, there's no live performances or anything. There is one notable thing that I had that I had to re-listen to just for this, and that is on the Islands box set on the Lizard Blu-ray. There is a Fulham Cafe rehearsal of Happy Family. So really? They were rehearsing to play it live. If the They were going to play live. this song live. They were at least attempting it. Oh my god. And I listened to it and it's not at it's not as chaotic in, as the original in the sense that there isn't so many instruments. But the form is so like ridiculous if that makes any sense. I can imagine. Like, I picture it as Haskell just sitting, you know, in the front with the bass and is just trying to keep it going. And then you have the three of them behind him just losing their shit, you know, going fucking nuts. But he's just trying to, like, keep the straight face to everything going behind him, you know? Which is also part of why he just couldn't deal with it, you know? Like, I could imagine them taking indoor games and trying to refine that to be, like, a live tune. Like, I think there's potential there. But with Happy Family, I don't know. I feel the only reason they attempted, they were going to do it live was because it was relevant with the whole Beatles thing, you know? 
And they're like, oh, wouldn't that be clever of us to be like touring and playing a song about the Beatles breaking up, which is something everybody going to our shows is going to know about, you know? Um, but yeah, that's a strange fucking rehearsal, though. <laughs> I can't imagine a live version of this song. Yeah. Um, yeah, you have to track down the Islands box set with the lizard blu-ray in order to hear it so it's buried it is buried but Mm. it just makes me wonder if there are more fulham cafe rehearsals and if so i want to hear them like if they have more tapes of haskell mcculloch collins and fripp attempting to be a live band i want to hear them even if they're a complete train wreck i want to hear the train wreck I want to hear this train wreck too, honestly. Because yeah, I'm curious to like, what would have the set list been from the three albums? What, like, how would it have gone? You know, because we know how the Islands band went and how they treated the Lizard material. So it would have been interesting to be like, which Lizard tunes would they have picked? We, yeah. Like, we can assume they would have done Circus. Mm-hmm. And probably safely assume they would have done Lady of the Dancing Water which that had some live versions of it. And if we're judging by this rehearsal, they were going to do Happy Family. So, like, was Indoor Games on the table? Was even Lizard on the table? Or, or yeah, even, who knows? Or, or, would, or would they have pulled, like, the title track in the wake of Poseidon out to do live, you know? Like, like I'm just fascinated by like if you just had the first three king crimson albums like how would you have made a show equally representing the three of them yeah so who knows maybe one day we'll get it maybe i don't know or maybe that was all they could save from the tapes or all that fripp wanted to release without feeling completely embarrassed by it i don't know (laughs) um but nevertheless, um, but nevertheless, I would still like to have heard it, even if it's shit. I still want to hear it. Cause I, Same cause, here. Because you get in these hypotheticals, but you don't want to get in the hypotheticals. You just want the reality, and you want to comment on the reality. It's a lot more interesting. So, but any final thoughts on Happy Family? Uh, I think this is. This is just a very, very strange tune. I would agree. Very, yeah. Very strange tune. But thankfully, it's the nadir of the album. So it's all uphill from here. Oh, joy. Hopefully all uphill from here. <laughs> um, so, yep, that is Happy Family. So thanks, everybody, for listening and sticking in with us we greatly appreciate it and if you ever want to if you ever want to email us and talk to us just be sure to get us at frame by frame pod at gmail.com so until lady of the dancing water we will see you all next time bye 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 everyone